Hello and welcome to Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and on this episode I'm talking to Professor John Dron. So it's July, I'm in Brighton, it's Wednesday, I've had a busy few days, the last um, week or so I've been to three music gigs, I went to a couple of the Somerset House summer series events in London, um, Saturday night the Cinematic Orchestra, the sun was out, it was pride in London, it, it was just a beautiful, beautiful day and a really great gig and then last night Robert Glasper which had the potential to be an amazing gig. It was an amazing gig, but it absolutely pissed it down. So I ended up just very, very wet last night. It was um, probably uh, Robert Glasper made up for it by the fact that he brought out Corin Bailey Ray, Laura Umbrella, uh, Omar and Common, like all his guests. It was it was pretty mad. It was, it, was, it was a really good gig. But everyone was just, you know, very, very wet. You couldn't see the stage for all the umbrellas. It was It was kind of one of those... So I'm recording this on Wednesday. It's going out on the Thursday and feeling slightly worse for wear today, I must say, after um, a few days of music. And I had my parents down. I went to a music festival with my parents on Sunday, which was their first. Uh, that was, it was actually quite good. It was quite good. And um, yeah, aside from the fact that they had to just sit on hay bales, they didn't want to stand up too long. Uh, but we had fun on Sunday watching... Uh, uh, the excellent Polly Paulsma in a little pub car park thing in near Chelmsford. So that's where I was on Sunday. So, yeah, busy few days, feeling quite tired. Um, but So let's talk about John Dron. So, John, this is actually one of the last interviews that I have in the bank, and I'm slightly feeling a bit nervous about that. Uh, but I basically recorded this um, at the end of last year while I was not on sabbatical. Uh, so this is a chat from a few months ago and it's uh, basically John talking about social networks and social media and learning and some really interesting topics. He is uh, the chair of the School of Computing and Information Systems at Athabasca University, which is basically Canada's equivalent of the Open University. Uh, and he's written a book called Teaching Crowds, which is all about how we can uh, harness technology in order to learn. He's very interested in how we can use social media in better ways, how we can use social media to learn, how we can learn in all, all different situations, uh, and how uh, people can direct their own learning and develop the structures and systems to be able to do that. So really interesting conversation, uh, some really interesting topics that we uh, touch upon in this episode. And we recorded this in the Grand Hotel, so along Brighton Seafront. Uh, I think John had a meeting just down the road from there, and he is basically a visiting professor um, at the University of Brighton. So he's in Brighton quite a lot, and I reached out to him on email, uh, sort of knowing that really, and just said, hey, ne next time you're in town, it'd be really great to, to hook up and uh, do uh, some Beyond Busy recording for us. So uh, this is John. Uh, this was, um, we managed to... Uh, find our way upstairs and squirrel away in a little corner. We moved some chairs and sort of just d decided to just sort of direct the lobby of the Grand Hotel in Brighton just in the way that we wanted it set up. So we were being a bit, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, a bit renegade about this. We hadn't booked a room there or anything like that, but they were quite happy to just let us kind of sit in the corner and order teas and coffees and uh, basically walk around acting like we owned the place. So like, so you join us in the Grand Hotel in Brighton. Here's my conversation with John Dron. Um, so we're sat in, um, in the, well, we're sat sort of tucked away on the landing of the Grand Hotel. I thought we were going <laughs> to be in the cafe, but we found a spot that's a little bit quieter. So um, done a little bit of improvisation and... Uh, 
Uh, it's quite. I'll maybe try and take a photo of this to accompany the podcast show notes, just so you can see our little uh, uh, setup of like biscuits on the floor <laughs> and everything else. Uh, but yeah, I was um, really interested to uh, just to come across your site and what you do. Um, mm. And you're in town, uh, based in Vancouver, but you do a lot of work with the University of Brighton, so hence you're uh, in town. So how long are you here? First of all, how long are you here? I, I, I'm here for uh, nearly a week this time, which is the uh, first time in two years actually. So oh, really? I'm with University of Brighton a lot. I, 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 no, I, I've mostly been in Vancouver for a long time now. Yeah, and so does that mean most of your work with University of Brighton is done virtually? Yes. Yeah. Uh, most of my work full stop is done virtually. Yeah. Uh, and so just, so just on the virtual bit then, so um, just talk a little, about, a little bit about Athabasca University and the work that you do there. Oh, right, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, a, um, I'm a professor and chair of the School of Computing and Information Systems at Athabasca University, which is, uh, when, I was in, uh, um, when I was asked if I could do this or, or to go for an interview, um, uh, they said, do you know anybody who wants to live in Canada? I said, yeah, I do. Um, uh, where? And Athabasca. And I said, where? Uh, Athabasca is two hours north of nowhere. It's, it's, <laughs> um, it, it's northern Alberta. It's up from Edmonton, the capital of Alberta. Yeah. Uh, and it's about 1,200 kilometers from where I live in Vancouver. Uh, and the faculty and are enormously distributed, and so are the students. We don't have place-to-face students. Uh, that's a s- slightly untrue. I think the nursing folk do have things, and actually I think there's a, the occasional summer workshop. But basically, all of our students are online, and yeah. we're all online, the faculty at least. So we're, uh, uh, we're working and learning at a distance. That's what I do. Yeah, and so um, tell me how that works on a really like practical level. So when you're... Uh, you know, teaching, giving lectures, all those kind of things. Like, um, are you sat in your kitchen? Like, what you know? What, okay. what, what's I, I don't, your setup? And I, I don't give lectures. Um, uh, we teach in uh, uh, technically two different ways. We have self-paced, individualized study. Yeah. Where uh, in the olden days, the, the university is about uh, um, set up in 1970, so it's quite. A, it's been doing it for a while, and before the internet arrived. So in the olden days, students used to get a study pack and, right. a, and a phone number for their tutor and the and hours that they could call their tutor during the week, and that was it. Okay. Um, uh, so nowadays, that kind of sounds like similar to the Open University, right? We started at almost comparison? exactly the same yeah. time with okay. almost exactly the same uh, basis, the same people. Yeah. Ideas were informing both of them. The um, in Canada, of course, it's much much more distributed, and so whereas the Open University had face-to-face workshops yeah. and, uh, and national televised things, uh, we were everything happens provincially in Canada. So we didn't do the television, and we uh, didn't do the face-to-face stuff. We were completely at a distance from the start. So. Um, uh, that, that, that shaped a very interesting culture for us. It's a, it was a, uh, I, it was a culture of, of um, doing things in a fairly mechanised way. It was an industrialised approach to online uh, to distance learning, yeah. which uh, was based on the work of a, a lovely fellow called Otto Peters, uh, who thought that you could break down the uh, uh, the process of producing learning learning materials, and it was very much about learning materials. Um, and so we, uh, our, our course production process historically and still to an extent involved you know, people like uh, um, 
sound engineers, graphic designers, uh, video production people, um, uh, subject matter experts, and right. so, so these large teams would yeah. generate something which, once it was produced, was expected to last for years. So it, it was essentially a static learning resource. Hmm. Um, the, 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 with the advent of online stuff and the reason they pulled in people like me and many other people who were interested in and, and possibly knew a little bit about sort of online learning uh, was to try to change that to um, start to take advantage of the ability to, to do the many-to-many -many dialogue yeah. that's possible yeah. within online learning. Uh, so I, I, my, my particular, I suppose, well... I have a kind of theme in my research which is really about uh, how to teach crowds and how crowds can teach. And it is very, the, particularly the latter. It's about how uh, learners can help other learners to learn. Um, and so nowadays we are increasingly at Athabasca, and many of us are very exclusively uh, making great use of the social. Yeah. So it, it, it's. Uh, a lot of our students will say that it's, they, they feel closer to other students and to their teachers than they ever felt within a face-to-face -face institution. Mm, um, it's, a, it's a very intimate and, and close and engaging kind of thing. Interesting. Um, yeah. so, so you have a book called Teaching Crowds, which is very much on that... Yeah, it's uh, very much on, on that kind of theme. It's on that theme. It's, um, it's essentially about social... Well, it's uh, particularly about the social media, but we have a very broad definition of social media, mm. um, which includes talking like we're doing now. To, uh, I, I, we don't mention that one, but we're, certainly email would be social media for us, for example, or uh, oh, right, Skype okay. or, okay. or uh, and discussion forums. Yeah. I mean, there are different kinds of social media, and... The certainly the sort of social networking is one particular variety of yeah uh, of the genre. I was really interested. I mean, that's quite interesting that you bring up that wider definition. One of the things that has come up a lot when I've been talking to people for Beyond Busy has been social media is seen as the distraction, not just from their work, but also from their home. So it's the mm -hmm. whole thing of people taking their phones to bed. It's the whole thing of people feeling that. Uh, need or necessity to be connected yes. the whole time and to uh, you know to sort of view these things as like a sort of an addictive um, problem that mm -hmm. needs solving in some way um, and what's interesting about your work is that you're obviously viewing a lot of that stuff you know an email and everything else as well but through a lens of look at the power of what this stuff could do and like the the real potential of this stuff rather than it being the thing that's you know distracts us. I mean, that's the huge irony of the internet, of course, isn't it? That uh, the it's the most productive and least productive tool all rolled into one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you, would you say you're an optimist in the way you you think about technology and, and this stuff? I'd, kind of. I'd, I'd call myself a realist. I I, I, I am um, in some ways the you know I, pref I I would prefer an analog watch. I would I I, I think I, I, I'm kind of like the Amish. I, I mean I think the Amish are, uh, have a very sensible attitude, although a slightly weird one, but a, a very sensible attitude to technology, which is they look at uh, what it cha what it changes, what yeah, it does, what yeah, it offers. Yeah. And so I I spend a lot of my life examining. I mean my next books are essentially about examining technology, yeah. about uh, understanding what it is and how it changes us. Uh, and yeah, so uh, a lot of that can be very positive, and a lot of it can be very negative. It ain't. I mean, my mantra has, for, for this 
last few years and in this book is, is it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. Mm. Um, there are, most technologies are not exactly neutral, they're definitely not, um, because they embed processes and ways of thinking. Um, but they can be used in different ways, and they can always be modified in ways that make them better. I yet to think of a good way to do that with a nuclear weapon, but um, <laughs> you know, on the whole, yeah, <laughs> and especially yeah. if we're talking about social technology. Well, I suppose nuclear technology, as uh, you know, a lot of people they would say that's the the more sensible although it's seen as radical, but the sensible solution to energy production, right? So oh, yeah, sure, nuclear sure. technology <laughs> has a positive as well as a negative, I suppose. Yeah, it definitely yeah. does. And, and, and there will eventually be ways of doing nuclear technology that are safe and, and sustainable. And, and like all technologies, you know, we, we, people tend to look at them and say, oh, you know, the Internet is changing things, or, or mm. uh, uh, oh, you know, computers and education. Yeah. And that's just a dumb way of looking at it. Yeah. It makes no sense. The, uh, uh, you might just as well say, you know, what's uh, what's the effect of transistors in education? It ain't what you do; it's the way that you do it. Mm. Um, so, and uh, similarly with social media, you know, there are inf infinite variety. Definitely, there's definitely an infinite variety of possibilities in the ways in which that can be done. Yeah, uh, and even within our, our relatively limited ecosystem that we're part of, um, you know, social media is not Facebook. Uh, personally, I think Facebook's the scum of the earth. I, I, I'm not a. I think they're brilliant. Just as a company. Well, it, yeah, it's the the amorality of what they do. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, they totally understand in a f astonishingly effective way. They know um, uh, what makes people tick. They yeah. are, and they understand ways of, u of designing technologies that work uh, brilliantly. Um, it's just that you know it's for the profit of Facebook and not for the profit of the mm. people that use it. And I, I kind of like doing things that help people, not that, uh, not that farm them. It's like that whole thing with Facebook as well. Is like if, if you're not paying for it, then you are the product. Yeah, yeah. Thing, and that's the, the yeah, whole thing with Facebook. Um, so, uh, oh, the other one is, um, do you know Stuart Lee, the comedian? I've heard um, of Stuart Lee, so and I could probably remember if you. <laughs> he is is not on Twitter, but he complains that because people recognise his face, a lot of the people who recognise his face are Twitter users. You know, hmm. uh, that he can put his name into the Twitter search engine, and within sort of half an hour intervals, it tracks where he is just by someone going, "Oh, I saw Stuart Lee on the bus," or whatever. <laughs> and he and he yeah. sort of has this lovely line of. Uh, Twitter is like a, a, a sort of state surveillance agency, but actually, like you're all willing participants in this. Uh, the, a lot of people have written very seriously about yeah. this, and yes, I, absolutely, it's uh, we need to reclaim our own identities. And I am terrified, amongst other things, of um, the complacency with which we're accepting companies like Facebook doing this. Mm. Um, I, 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 I mean, the, to a certain extent, that's the way in which so social media are mostly funded, and most other funding models haven't worked terribly well. I don't feel as badly, though, for instance, towards Google, who, right. again, are totally farming us, and mm. again, their attitudes to our privacy are, well, maybe they're trying a little harder, but essentially, you know, that's... Uh, but the way they make money is entirely different, and so it, well, they're not exploiting... Um, I mean, Facebook, for example, I mean, the only thing that matters for Facebook is building connections. Yeah. And that's what the entire thing is focused on. Everything from the, that, the, the internet.org and its attempts to, to uh, get everybody in the third world to believe that the internet is Facebook. 
um, through to the uh, fine-tuning of the algorithms which are essentially designed to drive engagement and above all drive connection. Mm. Um, uh, Google just wants search. So, so Google's way of doing social networking is a very different way of thinking about it. Uh, and less successful, obviously, uh, although I think more elegant. Yeah. Personally. It's just, I mean, obviously it doesn't work as well because they're not as ruthless in exploiting that connection. Mm. Um, because they don't, they don't care. The only reason they want you to make those connections is in order to improve the search. Um, that's yeah, okay. But then Google, you know, I think of Google as far more than just search these days, right? I mean, like things like maps. Um, well, that's all about search, too. Well, it is, but then, I mean, one of the things I find really ingenious is that whole thing of the traffic updates being done by, you know, it tracking your mobile phone and seeing that there's a lot of, you know, yeah. mobile phones going slowly through this area and all that sort of stuff. But that also does slightly frighten me in a way of thinking okay so that there's I've obviously ticked a box somewhere along the line saying like yeah you're fine to track me wherever I go across the earth right yes and so um, and of course there's no reason because I've signed that over to Google that they that they couldn't sell that data on some level Uh, Um, no no the only thing that saves you on from that one is the, the, the be nice Directive, which they've changed recently to something well, else. Well, the don't be evil thing. Don't be evil, yeah. yeah. But yeah. isn't I like so? I had a friend who had this exact conversation with me recently, saying like, "But Google, they have this don't be evil thing. Like, I'd sort of trust Google more." And I was like, "I would love to." Like, I'm usually the optimist, but I just feel cynical about this. I just feel like if you wanted to do evil things, you'd probably make your motto "Don't be evil." <laughs> and then, like, you know, that, that's like <laughs> if, if you imagine like a film where, uh, some, like, the the sort of uh, pantomime villain. Uh, they said, let's tell everyone that we're not evil, <laughs> and then that will trick everyone. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe there's, there's definitely um, some, some merit to this idea that, that Google is operating in a slightly different way. I just, they I'm are just beholden to their shareholders like yeah. all companies. I think the, the general principle, though, and this is, some, this is that, that there's, there's this tension between the centralizing and the decentralizing tendencies that, that and the there's a move within the IT industry to move into into cloud-based ways yeah. of doing things yeah. I, I think it's it's terrible I mean I've seen that industry for decades now uh, and I've seen these these trends go up and down towards this outsourcing versus not outsourcing um, but what we're doing is outsourcing our identities to uh, organizations that are apparently offering us something for free but as you say if you're you're not paying for the product you are the product Um, but even if you are paying for the product the the companies get taken over by nastier companies companies change their motto and Google no longer has Mm. don't be evil as it's I forget what it is now but it's it's a little bit well we might be a little bit evil possibly from (laughs) time to time is it be evil sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, but that's what that's what we're doing you know and that thing about reclaiming your identity is is, I think central there are so many initiatives over again decades uh, to attempt to do this Mm. and there is a fight between commercial interests that actively don't want us to that close off their systems to other systems that deliberately try to pull you in and this is why I really hate Facebook is that what they, they what they do is suck they never blow um, mm. and the yeah. th- that that change in ethos is yeah it bothers me and we got onto that because uh, you were saying social media is not Facebook <laughs> yes social, social media, media has this, this wider definition I suppose the I mean social media has been in the spotlight 
a lot over the last year um, in news and people have talked a lot about um, things like Brexit and things like the Trump and, uh, and Clinton uh, election and we've just had the, the debate last night yeah. um, about perhaps how social media is making us more dumb yep. and I just think that's an interesting contrast with obviously your work and, and the potential for social media to make us more smart so tell me about why you think um, we can move in, in that direction and just maybe just give some examples to make us feel better about the world <laughs> and not so oh, pessimistic you're not about where it's going to go. No, I, 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 I'm going to be scrupulously balanced oh, no. on this because, <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, yes, yeah, certainly social media are making us more dumb and certainly social media are making us more intelligent. Um, the ways in which, apart from anything else, the fact that now we... Uh, in the olden days, you used, if you wanted to learn something, you went to a classroom and there was a teacher and the teacher taught you the stuff, and maybe a small number of teachers and whatever. Now, uh, 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 the social media, everybody is a teacher. Mm. You know, essentially, you've got uh, a billion teachers there, well, three billion teachers there. Um, and uh, the problem is choosing between them, and the problem is that the voices of the ignorant, misleading, and malevolent are just as strong as the voices of the uh, wise and kind. Yeah. Um, and sometimes stronger. And Well, and also louder, because the, the tendency is that, uh, you know, it's easier, if you're making a, a sweeping generalization that might be quite ignorant, then it tends to be more uh, compelling than if you're trying to get across, and this is like a big part of the whole Brexit thing, it's like 350 million for the NHS, like it's a really simple thing, you know. And Which was we are too full, incorrect, really, we know. Right, and really, and, and really simple things. And then, yeah, and then the idea of we couldn't, we couldn't leave the EU because we'd have to unravel all these complex trade negotiations, and then we'd have to get all these expensive lawyers to, to set up these things in different ways, and that wouldn't be possible. Like, it's just so complicated, isn't it? Like, and, ridiculous. you know, I think my reflection on the whole uh, referendum is that it's actually, it, like, it's a really difficult thing to put such a complex set of questions, and it was really about 15 or 20 or mm. 150 questions, into one little question and then expect everyone to form a, a, like an actual opinion based on having analysed all of the facts of those things. It's just a really complicated thing. Yeah, well, uh, as, someone, as someone who's somewhat disengaged from it, but with an, uh, an interest, you know, I was born <laughs> here, I spent yeah. a lot of years here. Uh, I, I, it, it just seemed blindingly obvious that this was not a referendum question. Mm. You just don't make that kind of decision uh, uh, the, the, with, with crowds. Uh, and I, a lot of my earlier work, and still to a fairly large extent, uh, but my PhD, for example, was about how to make crowds wise. Because mm. uh, there's a lot of ways, uh, I mean, the, the, the wisdom of crowds thing has a perfect counterbalance, which is the stupidity of mobs. Yeah. Um, and there are many kinds of decisions that are very should not ever be made by a crowd and uh, <laughs> whether you're staying in the EU would be one of them um, there are also but there are ways of setting it up I, I talk about and that's in the, the that last book the teaching crowds one and also in quite a lot of previous work about the, the collective um, which is um, 
a name which actually one of my students came up with. Uh, and in fact, I mean, it, it does have a venerable history, but uh, it, uh, it was, I, I build toys for learning with. I build um, mm. tools, um, uh, technologies and things as part of my research process. I like to tinker. I like to bricolage stuff, you know. Mm. Um, and I built this thing, which was a, cr a crowd intelligence amplifier. That was the kind of idea. It was essentially a social bookmarking system that... Um, allowed you to look not just about whether things were good or bad, but in what ways they were good or bad. And it was all lots of evolutionary stuff and Darwinian stuff. And, and one of my uh, students said, it feels like we're, we're in the Borg. You know, that there are the Borg, the collective is making a decision. Yeah, and, and this yeah. is exactly it. It's a, it's a species of collective intelligence, uh, but it's a species of collective intelligence that involves an algorithm, uh, a, a set of rules for doing things. Um, and uh, input from intelligent, independent people, independence being very important, mm. and this is where things go wrong with yeah. social media. And, uh, uh, and uh, in turn, iteratively re affecting that crowd. So, the um, uh, I mean, a good example is uh, Google Search uh, uses an algorithm called PageRank, uh, and the essence of that is that. Um, the order of things that appear in your Google search uh, is related to the number of links pointing into a page uh, and a link. So if you put a link on your web page or in your Facebook wall or whatever, um, uh, that increases the weight of the, um, the, the page that you're looking for. So, for example, at the end of um, this podcast, uh, I will give the link to the show notes. And obviously, like if in the show notes on my website, I put a link to your website, then my Google website. recognizes that your website has that little bit of extra... With, uh, with, uh, that, with those associated keywords, yeah. it's very situated. So, yeah. it's, uh, so if you look for John Dron, the chances that you'll find my website will increase. Actually, the chances are pretty high anyway, because there aren't many John Drons <laughs> okay. in the world. Uh, so I tend to, tend to appear pretty close to the top of the results. Uh, but it, it's um, yes, it, it's exa exactly so. And it's uh, I mean, Google uses um, uh, they don't tell us all the things they use, but there's at least two hundred other rules, right. two hundred other algorithms yeah. used in in calculus. But that's the central one, um, and it is a collective intelligence kind of thing. What you're doing is you've got people making independent decisions to link to a site, and that that's implicitly supposed to be, implies that it's good. Of course, very often you'll link to a site because you think this is awful. Mm, and right. uh, can you believe what this person said? You know, so um, it, it, it's only a very rough gauge. But when you average it out over the billions of uh, pages that Google looks at, uh, it, 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 it's not bad. I mean, usually you find that something that you're looking for within the top results, and that's what Google is after with yeah. its uh, yeah. with its search. And, and the same kind of principle, I mean, I and others have used it, uh, as I said, I was using this kind of principle, not exactly that one, different kinds of algorithms, but same, same idea, uh, to um, bring shape to the mob. Um, and to try to avoid those things. The, 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 I mean, the problem of people being able to see each other. Uh, it, it's, technically, the Matthew effect is, is one of the biggest ones, which is... The rich get rich, the poor get poor. Uh, you you get out of control feedback loops mm. where um, because a lot of people seem to be voting to get out of Europe, then um, you're more inclined to do so yourself. And there are so many of these network effects 
there's a lot there's a bunch of different and particularly with Facebook you know you tend to be surrounded by people who share your opinion and yes, so filter bubbles the more they share that and, uh, the more chambers. you get that sort of confirmation <laughs> bias thing going on of like well this must be right because exactly oh, that's so. all I'm hearing and yeah As, as a business, Think Productive um, over the last few months have really got into how we use Slack. We were using it for a while mm. and uh, it, it sort of felt like it was doing its job, but it wasn't really uh, sort of taking us to that next level. And then we, we actually went to an event organized by Slack, which was kind of training around different things you can do with it. And, all. Yeah. and since then, it's really just, you know, our learning around it has just, just risen exponentially in terms of you know, just that communication. I think there's two things around that, that that have really benefited us as a business. So we don't do a lot of internal uh, email sort of communication person to person anymore. It's, it's mostly done on Slack. And the benefit of that is that all of that communication then becomes open to everybody rather than just hidden behind the walls of those two people's email accounts, which is a really interesting cultural thing for the business. Yeah. Um, but the second thing is that... Um, all those little kind of emojis, you know, you've got people in the 30s, 40s, 50s who we haven't grown up um, like current teenagers have with all those kind of emojis and little fun memes and all the rest of it. Mm. But just really getting into that and really starting to express connection and emotion and, and all these different things through, the, you know, the choice of those emojis. And I, I find that really fascinating in terms of just where a lot of that stuff could go. And it really feels like it's... It's uh, unformalizing some of those business communications as well. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, uh, it is a it is a shorthand for a for a human thing, and it's a risky shorthand. I, yeah, I mean, I have like all the same thing. You know, it ain't what you do; it's the way that mm. you do it. As as ways of building that sort of fatty communication, that 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 communi- that that stuff that is to do with bonding. Yeah. It's about bonding yeah. social capital, technically, I guess. It is that thing where, you know, in, in my um, university, uh, things evolve slowly when you're online, interestingly enough. You know, when you are face-to-face, you go to a workshop or whatever, you do things together, that you've got that shared way of seeing. Yeah. When you're online, things take longer to seep through. What, um, do, you, what do you mean by that? Like the, uh, well, the culture. The uh, relationships or...? Uh, ways of doing things, it, okay. it, it, and, and it is—it's about those literacies again. It's about ways of uh, the, the ways we do things. There's um, Ursula Franklin has a lovely defini- definition of technology, which I think is is awfully profound. Which is simply it's the way things are done around here, mm. um, and the the way things are done at Athabasca takes time to seep through because we have these restricted channels of communication. We also have patches of, of places where in Athabasca itself, for example, a lot of the office staff work and so they got they, they go to, to theatre events and, and right, okay. uh, yeah. Uh, uh, rush, yeah, all sorts of social yeah. things together, you know. So so there, there, there there's all sorts of uh, patchworks of ways in which things get communicated around. So in some ways we, we some things stay pretty primitive. And mm. one of the things, despite having quite a vast array of Tools, technology. I mean, we're pretty. We got the advanced stuff, uh, but email remains very central. It's that kind of low common denominator. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing about email is, yes, this low common denominator. And a lot of the time, I mean, if somebody uh, announces, say, you know, I've I just had this this accolade, this something was published here, or this, you know, I, I did this keynote there, um, or, or I'm 
I've just somebody's just arrived or whatever. There's this whole stream of, of reply alls. Yeah of, yeah. of congratulations yeah. and all yeah. of that stuff. And it, it annoyed me when I first arrived because I thought, yeah, how ridiculous. They don't know how to use email. But of course they do. It, it's that way in which this culture has evolved is that that's how they, it, that they touch each other. You know, as you, uh, go, as you meet somebody in the corridor, you smile or mm. you, you, you uh, pat them on the shoulder or whatever. You, it's just that, that acknowledgement of other people. I, I'm interested in how people learn. I'm interested in how people learn together. Uh, and central to this, I'm increasingly thinking, is, is the, the issue of motivation and how we're motivated to learn and why we're motivated to learn. And, and, and one of the, the things that really has puzzled me for forever is how we stop, how that motivation disappears. You know, I describe myself as a professional learner. I love learning. There's not, in, in fact, but as a species, there's nothing we love more. We, we love learning more than we love sex. Hmm. It, it's, yeah. there's, um, you know, we're born with this desperate desire to learn. And everything we grasp, you know, everything we touch is this thing, wow, you know, there's this world that's fabulous. And something happens to people you know, through an educational process that kind of, um, it becomes work, it becomes a chore. That We talk about school work, school stuff that we do. So I've been puzzling about this for quite some time. Mm. Um, well, I, I, no, I think I have some answers. Um, and, and a lot of it comes down to the way in which... Uh, schooling, and this is true from the earliest schooling right through to, to um, at least until you reach master's study, maybe PhD, things start to change a little bit uh, within our, our formal education system. But our formal education systems are designed to demotivate. And then nobody intended that to happen. It happened simply because of the nature of physics. It, it's that um, if you've got some body of knowledge that you wish to impart to some other person, um, there's stuff that you know, or that only a small number of people know, that you want a large number of people to, learn, to know. It's not surprising that this, came up, uh, this kind of way of doing things emerged, particularly within religious teachings, where there was a body of knowledge right. that a small yeah. number of people wanted yeah. a large number of people to know. I mean, it, 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 there are other. I mean, it has evolved, I think, since mm. that. But but that was the, the essence. This is the essence of the, our, our teaching practice. And so the only way to do that really is to get one person into a space with a lot of other people. Uh, and if you've got a lot of other people there, then you need to. They need to have timetables. Uh, so they need to go there, not necessarily when they want to go there, when they need to go there, when they want to learn, but when that person who's teaching is available. Uh, then you need to have kind of rules of behavior because you couldn't have all of those people talking at once. Uh, it, it's, uh, the word lecturer, you know, I mean, in England has its, its lecturers, which in other parts of the world are professors and so on. But, you know, a lecturer is a reader. It's mm. one who reads. And, and that was originally, you didn't have many books, so uh, the way to make best use of, of the books was to have one person read them to, to other people who had to remain quiet and had to listen. Uh, and, that's, uh, and from that, really, that's essentially nothing has changed. We had other scarce resources. The books, again, became slightly less, uh, less unavailable. But uh, as a result, we had to develop ways of teaching that made the assumption that you were going to have, say, an hour, and you had to, do, you had to fill that hour. It wasn't just that you had to do something in that hour. Every part of that hour had to be filled. And that implied that the person who was there was controlling every 
in, in many cases, every second of that yeah, hour. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, and, and, what we, and we've evolved pedagogies to try to reduce the harmful effects of that. Um, and much of our much of our teaching, the ways we teach pedagogy, um, are, are to do with trying to overcome the effects of physics that were a problem in the first place. And, and it's all down to self-determination theory, which, which um, it's to be intrinsically motivated. This is a terribly well-validated theory. It's uh, there's 40, 50 years of solid research, pretty firmly, conclusively showing this this this, this works. Yeah. Um, you need to have autonomy. You need to have control over the things that you do. Um, you need to have um, a challenge and, the, and achieving competence. We love to do things in which we get better at doing them. Um, it's about mastery of the, the, the things, and you, um, uh, and you need relatedness. You need, uh, and this is about connection with others. And it's not necessarily that you need to do things with others or for others, but there is the, there's a social value in what you do that it has meaning within a social context. And if you don't have all of those three things, uh, you're not intrinsically motivated. Right. Uh, it just doesn't, doesn't happen. And of course, you, uh, the classrooms, you take away control. You take away, because for some people, they're going to be there. They're, they're, they're going to be boring for them because they know it. For some people, it's going to be totally confusing because they're not ready for it. Um, you've got a teacher who favours one learning style and a learner who has a different ish. kind of style or approach. Or yeah, there's no such thing yeah. as learning styles. But you have ways, yes, I mean, there are ways that you're going to like or not like yeah, at any particular yeah. time for any particular subject. So it's just, I mean, you're, the, you're, the, the sort of one-size-fits-all model just yeah, doesn't, doesn't work. Yeah. And so what we do is we fall back on extrinsic motivation. And this is dangerous because, uh, so you know, we say, uh, well, if you do this, I will give you a grade. And if you do well, I will give you a good grade. And if you do badly, I'm going to punish you with a bad one. Or, uh, and of course, within yeah, classrooms, right. physical classrooms, yeah. you've got all of those other controls. You've got the, 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 the norms and rules of behavior that they're built in with. And all of these things are about one person controlling another. One because person. In like, and in school, you know, when you're younger, the, the extrinsic motivation is actually not about whether you've learned. It's about whether you showed up as well, isn't it? So it's yeah. just like, did you conform to the structure <laughs> or not even totally. did you learn anything? Absolutely. And, and this is terrible. Absent. This is terrible because yeah. what it does is, I mean, if, if on its own, you know, you think, okay, well, you know, so that just sort of, the, 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 what a pity, you know, but you can still be intrinsically motivated. No, uh, extrinsic motivation crowds out; it destroys intrinsic motivation. Mm. If 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 you love doing something and I start paying you money to do it, or I give you a grade, or I punish you if you don't, you're going to hate doing that something. Uh, at the very least, you're going to be a lot less motivated than you were when yeah, you were doing right. it just because it was part of your flow, because it was part of the thing you were doing. Right. Back to the sort of, uh, you know, news events of the year and all that sort of thing. I do feel like we're in an age where diversity is really undervalued. Like, it's like, everyone must share my opinion, right? <laughs> so, like, you know, uh, I mean, the referendum is a great example of that. There were 52% of people or 51 and whatever percent and then 48 and a bit percent and it's like you know that doesn't mean that those two camps of people are diametrically opposed on every issue but it feels like that's the picture that gets painted and the way it's sort of drawn right like there's there's actually probably quite a lot of commonality and lots of shared concerns within there like it's a complicated set of greys rather than well, black or white but it kind of feels like we're in this age of um, not not valuing the diversity of opinion and you know, it's like you want to throw the baby out of the bathwater all the time with other people's views and stuff. Like. Which is part of that problem about that, uh, that, uh, that, that 
branching of the adjacent possible. It's about that 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 explosion into into ever more complex space, which is inevitable. It's what mm. happens when you connect people and all of these different and diverse ideas. We start to see the world in caricature. Yeah, uh, and and it becomes easier to think like that. You know, got, if you've got loads and loads of things to think about, then you simplify typically. Mm. And uh, I, yeah, I, I I don't have a solution to that. I don't think there is a solution to that. But I think that's that thing about that is what education should be about. It's about learning to um, come to terms with complexity, diversity, with contradictory viewpoints, and being. Yeah. You know, I th- yeah. I think the the mark of, of being grown up is the ability to hold two mutually contradictory viewpoints, <laughs> um, and, uh, not like Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> you know, not, not in the sense of uh, uh, flitting between. I'm saying them, this. I re- didn't say that. I'm <laughs> saying this. <laughs> <laughs> but recognizing yeah. there's value in, in in things that you disagree with, yeah. and that they're, they're not. Uh, yeah, had a fascinating uh, uh, so the long taxi drive coming to the airport. Um, with somebody who was trying to persuade me of, of what were essentially fairly fundamentalist beliefs, um, but telling me that they weren't fundamentalist beliefs. And, and I think that, that in, in, in former days, I would have argued like a demon. When I was, a, mm. when I was little, I would have argued. I have a son who, who, who's, who's like this. I mean, was, I, my first degree was philosophy. I like arguing, you know. And, and, and if I see Scientologists on the street, I would... You know, they were like uh, they, 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 uh, it, it was they, they were food, yeah. um, <laughs> and and you know, but but actually, you know, that's pointless. Um, no, it's important. It, it, there's a huge amount of point in having those conversations and understanding the ways people are thinking and why they're thinking that way and why it matters to them. Um, now, now I but think that's different from trying to prove that you're right and they're wrong. Like, I, I mean, that's, that's a really lovely thing. Like, just my point here is to try and understand, yeah. you know, how they've come to that conclusion or whatever. And I love arguing, mm. but I, in, I'm sometimes a little, you know, I don't want to win an argument. Uh, I, I want to have the argument. I, I, it's, yeah. it's the, it, 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 it's about seeing those different perspectives. It's about wicked problems. I love wicked problems. Uh, you know, ones to which there is no solution, but within any given context, there is probably a solution that's best or worst within that context. Mm. But it's not one that you should therefore say, okay, every time in the future I come across this again, I'm going to do the same thing or I'm going to believe the same thing. Um, it makes it, I mean, it, that that's, doesn't mean that you shouldn't have beliefs. I mean, absolutely, bring those beliefs to it. But it, it's about seeing the world in all its richness. Mm. And I, I, I'm not very good at it, but I'm getting better. Mm. I um, just want to uh, slightly change tack because uh, part of uh, uh, part of the sort of ethos of Beyond Busy is to think about work-life balance and mm. think about productivity and and uh, uh, and also just how you view success and how you view happiness in the work that you do. Right. So um, let's just think about productivity. If I say the word productivity to you, uh, what does that conjure up for you, either as, as an <laughs> academic or personally? It's a term that has been massively abused as a way of, of indicating that you are part of a machine, mm. that you are producing like a, like a, a factory. Uh, I, it's a hor- horrible word for that reason. Um, I, I don't want to be part of anybody's machine, least of all my own. Um, Why least of all your own? That's an interesting statement. <laughs> I think when we... Well, I, it's this... I, I, profession, I call myself a professional learner because mm. I, I'm, I'm not a complete product. 
um, and as soon as I uh, as soon as I stop changing, uh, then this is a kind of bad thing. So if, if we're to if, when I'm thinking of myself as a machine, as a producing machine, then uh, I, I I've taken a temporary halt along the way. Yeah. Um, in terms of, I mean, that's. Mm, what, I'm what, not what? a productive person. I, I I do stuff, and sometimes I do a lot of stuff. Yeah. And sometimes that stuff is good. People like it. I don't. I like it. You know, whatever. Yeah. Something happens. See, I, I, I you know doing a lot of stuff that add, that has value or adds value for me is that's productivity, right? Oh, I'm that, good with that. Yeah. 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 Okay. I've been doing stuff that adds. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm happy with that. As long as uh, you know, it, it's a that. It, we did somewhere near the start of the conversation. It was a, it was that thing about um, you know the creative stuff, the stuff that that, that, that you, we need space to play. Mm. We need to have space without goals and targets yep. and productivity yep. figures attached to. And as soon as we do, that creates that extrinsic driver. As soon as it, you know, you will produce four papers this year. Mm. I, I can't think of a better way of completely squashing the productivity of somebody. <laughs> uh, to and crushing the joy of it along the way. Well, exactly, yeah. that's the reason. So um, in terms of your sort of your self-label as professional learner mm. and then your role as the, as, you know, the leader figure, the, the nurturer of the culture, mm. um, do you find those two things in contradiction? I mean, do you get to a point where it's like, I'm so taken up with having to try and you know, uh, perform that leadership role that I'm not getting the time to pursue the individual uh, learning interests and stuff. Like, is there a contradiction there? Is that, is that uh, difficult? Not between those two things. It's not the leadership role. That, uh, uh, there is part, part of being in that role that does that, and that is the part where I have to be part of the machine, the part where uh, I, I am obliged to um, go through. We, we have a slightly peculiar system where we have tutors in addition to faculty, rather like the Open University here, right. where, you, where there are people who are paid per hour. Uh, and I ha have to, for example, approve all of those hours every week, which is a soulless mechanical task. Yeah, that, from talking to you, that doesn't sound like something that you would really I, enjoy I, doing. I, 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 I'm trying to get that changed. Uh, I, I, I have been, but, but there's, there's the complex system stuff goes on here, and I not, don't have that power to make those changes myself. I would in an instant if I did. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. So there are parts of being in a, what's a middle management role, basically. Um, you know, it sounds kind of grandish. Oh, the chair! Uh, but the chair is just someone who's who's sat upon, <laughs> and the um, the the it makes it makes me part of of a machine. And a university is to some extent a machine. I, I but I you know I would rather think of it as being a community, a mm, club, yeah, a, a family, sure. if you like. But you know, anything but a, a machine. Uh, but it does have those uh, mechanized processes or those mechanized processes which of which people are a part and those I hate I, I deeply detest them it's why I immediately said no when I was offered the, offered the job yeah um, I, I they get in the way of the things that make academia valuable for me um, and in such a vast number of cases there they are so unnecessary so inefficient things that should be done by machines are done by people things that should be done by people are done mm -hmm. by machines um, 
and the, 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 the these are complex systems. So I mean, the systems have a tendency; they, they they have a life force. They the systems want to survive, yeah, and they yeah. want to grow, and they yeah. want to replicate. And despite their like, despite quite obvious inefficiencies sometimes, or despite almost you know, because of them, yeah, it, it, yeah. it's not the people in them. It's it's it, no no individual wants any of this. Mm. Uh, this is you know it's a, it's people behaving locally, uh, which leads to this large complex adaptive system, um, and the complex uh, you know. Uh, 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 a company, a university, or whatever is an organism. It's not a. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's not a. It's not a machine. Mm. Um, it's a bunch of little, if you like, little machines. But in the sense that cells are little machines, um, which are all interacting together and resulting in a behaviour that is is not intended by any human being. Yeah. Um, what What can be done about that? <laughs> Good question. And I, I'm, I'm kind of heading. It, I, I mean, this is. I, I am, a, as I say, a professional learner, and I, this yeah. is my current opinion. Is um, I mean, partly it, there's there's a thing about learning, about being feeling that you're part of a community. Um, sorry, let me take these in order. Uh, partly it's about learning. It's about understanding that systems do behave in this mm. way. We should teach systems thinking in schools. Yeah. If, you know, that's that's really? a literacy, yeah. and that's a, a literacy for this changing world, which is full of these interacting systems. Um, we sh the, the community aspect of it we sh it's how we value things so do we value ourselves as a producer and I, I, I as in a university I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure what we I think we produce knowledge I, I think any way in which we can increase the knowledge in the world we're doing mm. we're doing our jobs yeah. better um, but there are those that believe we produce students and that's wrong yeah. Uh, students are part. They're a part of what we do. They're not a product product of what we do. Uh, mm. They're an input. They're a, but they're not. Uh, yeah. So. And then it gets really annoying is when people start uh, saying that they're producing statistics or league table performance. Or oh yeah. <laughs> right? it's like, yes. Or, or yes. Yes. Yeah. Or results. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's just, this is silly. Um, uh, but but uh, it's about how we value that, and I think I mean I think I like the family metaphor. I think that you know people who are part of an organisation are, are like your family, and you don't always love everyone in your family, and not all of your family is being hugely productive. But there's always ways to value them, always mm. ways. So uh, you know this is when I say about orchestrating the people I'm with. It's not about saying you must behave like this in order that we achieve our machine-like goal. It's thinking, well, this is this is the material we got to work with let's let's tinker it together and see if we can come up with something which is agreeable and seems right. to fit with our general purpose uh, so come back to a couple of things that we that we talked about before so um, I just touched on the Fitbit thing and I don't know if you can remember the stats off that blog post that you were because you were like commenting on a thing mm. that was not off the top Some of my head, head but, but I do just, recall. Just summarise the observations in that <laughs> post because I, th I thought it was a really interesting thing. Uh, well, I, uh, this, is, uh, this is purely, uh, this seems so obvious to me. The, 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 I think that article was, uh, and there have been many like it, it was just one I felt like commenting on. I think that article was saying that um, as they were surprised. They were surprised that some pe that, were, that people weren't always motivated by their Fitbits, you know, and that, uh, and, uh, that some actually felt demotivated. 
And, and of course they do. Uh, in this country, everything, I, much of what I've been saying over the last hour, or however long we've been talking, is, is, is entirely about that, is that the... Um, what, and, and it really, it, and again, it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. Uh, so I had a little, uh, not, a, not a Fitbit, but a, um, a Polar Pulse, I think, a Polar something or other, um, which my wife had given me um, for my heart. Uh, and she thought that, I mean, it was a Valentine's Day thing. I thought it was delightful. <laughs> you know, here I am, I'm a geek, I love gadgets. She gave me this thing for my heart. And, and, and uh, it was a, a lovely, lovely thought. Um, and, and so I wore it dutifully, knowing... Oh, the moment I put it on, when it said "get up and jog," that the, that, I, that this was going to be a problem for me. <laughs> uh, and and, and, the, and the, the the problem is when you uh, um, when you delegate control to something to something else. So this device was setting me my goals. Uh, it was it, it was taking away my autonomy to make my own goals. This one wouldn't let me change them either. So right, you will okay. you will do the number of steps that I tell you to do each day. And, and how long ago is this? I, I stopped using that actually only earlier this year. I, oh, right, I, I, okay, I had a go. Okay. I had a go with it. I, I, I kept with it for well over a year. Yeah. Um, and because I, you know, that's a gift. I I, I appreciate the gift. <laughs> well, but also <laughs> I was kind of fascinated about the effects that it had on me, despite the fact that I knew that it would have these effects. Mm. Um, uh, uh, so, so it was uh, uh, notably reducing my autonomy. Um, it wasn't really offering me anything else either in the, the general motivation things, but, but what it was doing was, was yes, uh, um, it, uh, setting extrinsic goals. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it, was, it was saying, you know, that uh, uh, you've only done 5,000 steps today, uh, time to get up and jog. Yeah. Um, and as soon as the, you make something extrinsic, as soon as the reason for doing it is not the, the pleasure of walking or cycling yeah. or whatever itself, um, uh, then you're taking away that pleasure that was there originally. The reason for doing it becomes getting the points. And what I thought was quite interesting about that article is it was also saying that then uh, if you then removed the device, and people, people felt like uh, the steps that they were doing were pointless, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because, oh, but I'm not recording this stuff yeah. and it doesn't go into my points. And I, I totally, I, knowing that this was going to happen and yeah. knowing the terrible dangers, I felt this myself. Yeah. You know, if I took the watch off, these, these were wasted steps. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, and when I discovered that it wasn't recording my cycling, I cycled less, <laughs> right. uh, which is crazy because I've been a, a keen cyclist for, for ever. Mm. And um, it, this, uh, I, I discovered that if I sat in my boat for a while, there was uh, uh, that, that, that it would actually record some steps. So, so I, I thought, well, that's rather nice because I like to go and sit on my boat, you know. So, so, so there it was recording. But, but it's that point; it becomes extrinsic to mm. the activity itself. Yeah. And you know, it's something which is going to motivate you. Uh, it, it, it's when it's finding it in, intrinsically in, mm. in the pleasure of it. And if you look at the people like, uh, I mean, if you uh, an actual human trainer. We'll look for the, uh, a good human trainer. I don't know. I've never actually been to a trainer, so I wouldn't yeah. know. But I'm assuming that they would be like any teacher. But they're that they would looking for what are your values, what's going to drive yes. you, like what they're looking for the stuff within you rather than going, it's, you know, and this is very, uh, um, exactly. very, very true in my world as well, where you see like the, there's a lot of, um, you know, productivity experts or organizing experts who actually what they're trying to get across is like, this is how I do my 
mm. life, right? It's like, all your cupboards should look like this, you know? <laughs> and it's like, no, like your no, cupboards should, no. should re reduce your stress and, and make you feel like you're in control of your environment. And, yeah, and if you else. actually want... there are want many ways to achieve that, you know? I feel horribly out of control yeah. if my desk is tidy. Yeah, um, right, yeah. There yeah. is a point of, I mean, there is a happy medium somewhere, mm. <laughs> you know, but, but basically you know, a totally tidy desk would, would horrify me. And it's, yeah. it's exactly that. It's about, uh, you know, finding, uh, the, the teaching is about finding the, uh, helping people to learn in ways that it's going to work for them. Yeah. Um, and uh, as soon as you make it extrinsic, as soon as you put a badge or a point or a, 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 or a grade or a whatever, uh, you destroy that. I think that intrinsic versus extrinsic thing for me is just a, you know, for me that's a big theme through all of the conversation that we've had and just yeah. feels like a very um, sort of important um, you know, piece of learning in terms of what I'm doing with Beyond Busy. So mm -hmm. I, I'd love to just finish just by uh, exploring your intrinsic, if that's all right. So <laughs> what sure. motivates you? What, 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 what gives you that sort of sense of excitement about uh, following a particular path academically or achieving something or... Uh, you know, just just interested to to know what, what, where you think what what you think makes you tick. All the above. <laughs> um, I, I, I I I do describe. I, I am an inveterate learner. I, the only times I don't feel happier when I don't have that freedom to play. Mm. I, I I love to play. I, I love to learn new stuff. I love to explore. It it is totally. Um, I, I'd love to be better at doing what I do. I, I, I mean, I love. I also. I, I'm so grateful and happy to have my my family around. I mean, it, it is something that you know. If I, I if I were, I couldn't be a hermit in doing this. Mm. It's um, there is a there's a balance there between. You know, sometimes I really I get caught up in something. I love you know I love writing. I love. I love Play play music. I'm trying to try to learn a new musical instrument every year. It's a thing. <laughs> really, um, it, I don't do, always do it very yeah. well. But some of them I'm alright. Some of them I'm terrible. Uh, some of them I can play three blind mice nearly up mm. until they all ran after the farmer's wife. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah. So uh, again, it's it's about being in control. It's about being challenged. It's about uh, doing it in a way that, way that you feel what you well for me, I like to feel what I'm doing is is valuable. I mean, all of my I couldn't do a career where I thought I was doing harm to people, mm. um, and I would like to be doing some. I I don't know. I I I, uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm not a massively empathetic, sympathetic person. I'm not a nice person. I, no, You're not I'm, a nice person. No, I'm not a nice person. Uh, but what, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I don't sort of go massively out of my way to help individuals. And I do a little, you know, but I could do more. But I do kind of want to make the world better. Hmm. Uh, that's that kind of. I mean, I, no, is that I mean, not a nice? That feels like a nice thing. I, I, it's I, you know I I am a person I I I am, I am diverse and mm. I, I some some of some of me is nice some of me is not you know but uh, uh, the, the, just in general terms you know I, I, I'm there there are people I know that are that, that just you know they'll go and help somebody build a house and and that's just naturally what they'll do and I you know occasionally I'll you know I'll help the neighbour and whatever you know if the, but I won't sort of, I, I I don't do that community thing so well I feel very un-Canadian in this right um, yeah. but but I 
I mean, I do. You know, it's not that I don't chip in. I just, yeah. you know, I'm not making myself out to be evil in a huge way. But you know, I'm not not nice. Uh, but I, uh, but I do like that whole uh, the stuff I do. I like to think that it's doing something to to make things better somewhere down the line. And mm. so, I, you know, I, if I'm playing music, it's not just because I like playing music. Though I do, I, the flow thing, I absolutely get into that. Um, but there's also with the idea that others might enjoy it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm teaching, I, it's not about. Uh, I'd like I'd love to, I'd love to see people learn. I I love that that when mm. they get the uh, you know you can, when you see those those moments when things click and they get excited and the fireworks go off and you know yeah. all of that stuff is, is is brilliant. But but really, you know, if if I were teaching people to uh, make missiles, um, I would not be happy it doing be, that. Uh, su- such a thrill, no. No. <laughs> so I'd like to feel yeah. that, that there's kind of the stuff that I'm learning is somehow contributing to that great big tapestry of the world mm. and making it a prettier place. So you strike me as someone who is quite comfortable with complexity in the definition of that success there, right? So you're saying, okay, mm. if this somehow uh, makes a difference, this huge tapestry of things, you know, mm. like I'll talk to a lot of people who, who they'll say, you know, my thing is to bring delight to food, or there's a, mm. I want to win a gold really? medal, or I want to do this, or I want to do that. <laughs> um, I, I, I sort of love that, but uh, yeah, it'd be nice to be driven like that. Uh, yeah, but I mean, do you think, but I, I don't know that that, I'm just trying to work out in my own head if that means that you're less driven, because I don't think it does. It sort of sounds to me like it's, I'm doing. I'm making my contribution, and I'm exploring. Mm. And then you have a an assumption that that's going to make the world a better place in lots of different ways. And yeah. some of those ways are things that you've predefined. Some of those things are it'll be the surprise because that's what the learner brings to it and where they take something. It's or always a surprise. Whatever is that? So is that the thing? Is it? Is it that it's more? Um, like as long as you do your job, then the the organism of of uh, the university and and the organism of the earth, I guess, is going to do, is going to turn that into whatever it turns it into. Do, yeah. Do, does yeah. that make sense? Like, well, well, it does make sense. I, I mean, there is a you know we shape our dwellings and afterwards our dwellings shape our lives. Churchill said, and and um, there's something about that shaping of dwellings uh, that so I, it's not just something random, mm. you know, not just sort of throwing something in and and, and, assume, and not knowing anything about how it's going to yeah. disperse into the world. It, it's I've got a rough idea about where it might go. Yeah, uh, but it's. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely, and, and it is that thing about trying something and discovering as a result of trying. I I, I love, I mean, I've been playing with this idea of trying to find a, a, a rigorous research methodology based upon uh, bricolage, based on, on, on tinkering, you know, hmm. looking at what's yeah. around you and, and, and exploring the best adjacent possible, this, this, this space... Of, of where we might go next, yeah, uh, because there's also there's also the impossible, which is a much much larger space. You know, as soon as we create possibilities, we r- remove possibilities, and there are also others that branches of the road that we never took. Mm. Um, and so finding finding ways of of doing that, it's like I I mean I love writing. Uh, writing is I, mean, I <laughs> should do. I, I mean I must write ten twenty thousand words a day most days, but um, it, it, it's is that an exaggeration or is that it's probably an exaggeration? But ten would not be ten thousand words a day. That wouldn't be unusual. Like uh, every day. 
I don't know about every day. <laughs> no, I mean, some days it might be a thousand, but yeah. uh, I'm never less than a few thousand. Wow, okay. Well, but I mean, we all do, don't you? I mean, yeah, well, maybe you don't, actually, because you've got oh, a very okay. interesting organization approach. You see, I mean, I, I, mean, I communicate through words, yeah. uh, 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 written words. So uh, there's this, yeah, I, do, I don't do very much talking in my job. I do a lot of writing. Yeah, um, interesting. And, you know, I mean, as, as the kinds of things that I do in my job, I mean, I research, and the sort of research I'm doing is a lot of writing. Mm. Um, but I don't know, I mean, I, I don't know about you, I mean, I don't know what, I've, um, what I think until I've written it. And writing it opens up those new adjacent possibles. Is when I, that sentence leads yeah. to other sentences, it builds upon stuff. Um, and that, that sort of process of construction think is is that that it's the that's that's the pleasure it's that pleasure of discover uh, of discovery it's, it's exploration it's not invention in the sense of yeah uh, but it's about yes discovering paths that i i find i have um one of the most pleasurable things to me in my work is uh there's a di- there's a need to write a difficult email like, oh, I, I love that because it's really perverse and so it gets to the point where there's um, a lot of people in you know uh, within Think Productive who if it's like how do we respond to this yeah for me that's delicious right it's just being able to sit there and kind of formulate thoughts and kind of sit with how that's going to be received and all of that which I don't think everybody you know most I mean most people they bring that stuff to me because they know that I am good at it and enjoy it, but also they know that for them it's like the thing that they least uh, like to do. And it would, you know, there's things that it, it's one of those few things where, particularly with Elena, who I work with, it's one of the few things that I do quicker than her. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's a kind of double uh, delight for me in that. But like yeah. she'll say, this would make this would take me two hours, it'd take you ten minutes. Will you do it? It's like, yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love that song. I just, uh, that thing about uh, d- d- being able to do something is a really lovely feeling, isn't it? I mean, this is why I, I, I like to sit and play with a guitar, or you know, which I can do moderately well. Mm. And, and, and I love to find where the chords take me. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. not a, I don't usually rigidly follow music. It's not a thing that I... I uh, that was an early discovery in life that I, I like to invent, not to follow. But... Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's that the flow. It's about flow. I mean, yeah. uh, and I and I, uh, if I could just remember how to pronounce his name, Chick sent me high. Chick yeah. sent me high. Um, and it's this notion of um, uh, this notion of flow. That, and it is. I mean, it's beautifully compatible with other theories of motivation. It, 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 and we all recognise that feeling of when we we're doing something because and it just works it's mm. we're, we're loving it things yeah. are happening we're, and it's not about um, it fe- it's not a feeling of, of, of it's not like being stoned you know it is like it, it is about being challenged it's about yeah. those problems that we're solving and the frustrations along the way and those overcoming those frustrations and that sense of relief when you do I, amongst many of the things I do I, I I, I do teach a little programming, and it's one of that's one of those tasks that students have particular. Some students just love it; they realise that thing. And, and mm. but one of the ways I try to sometimes they have an obstacle because uh, those challenges seem very very large. Um, but I, I, I try to explain that one of explain 
whatever. I mean, I talk about, I tell stories. Yeah. Um, the, the, about how the um, that feeling of intense relief when you've solved that problem is worth all of the pain that you go through and the mm. huge frustration. You, know, you can spend literally days on something which turns out to be one semicolon. <laughs> um, and that, the, 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 uh, that, that, for that feeling of relief, and, and it's, uh, it is almost drug-like. It is that uh, there is something kind of slightly addictive about it because, um, it, it's, I don't know. It, uh, it's that moment of clicking. It's that moment of discovery. Yeah. It's that moment of realizing yeah. you've done something. You've solved something, which was a huge challenge that you've overcome. That actually makes it fun, you know. That the, the bit that you hate is also the bit that makes it lovable. Yeah. Um, and at no point in uh, when you've solved that, if someone gave you some points or a <laughs> that would be the wor- <laughs> or a little reward, yeah. would that add, I mean, add to the experience in any way? Oh, there is so much, so much <laughs> research on this stuff. I mean, the, yes, you know, if if you, uh, I mean, the more you you restrict, the more you set deadlines. Mm. Certainly, if you can put an extrinsic motivator on it, say, well, I'll give you a hundred dollars if you finish this by lunchtime. You can guarantee that it will be slower than if yeah. you didn't. Yeah. That that totally does not work and I, yeah. the fact you know there's so much evidence against this you know this this, this bizarre there's this, this I don't know why there's so much sort of I suppose because it's you see the, the, the idea the reward punishment thing people believe in because they can see it work I mean there is no doubt whatsoever if you want somebody to do your bidding to do something you require them to do if you give them a reward you will get results um, if it's if it's a mechanical kind of thing, you know, if it is, you know, write a masterpiece, you will not get any results at all, and just forget that. But but and, and so we see this instant effect. But what we and, and therefore we assume that's that, that you know there's something scientific about that. This is where all the behaviorists went crazily wrong. Yeah. I mean, they they it's perfectly true. If you half starve a rat and and you give it a reward, then you can teach it to do something. You'll teach it to do what you want it to do. Um, but if you want it to be able to learn that by itself, if you want it to be able to feel fulfilled as a rat, <laughs> then you know, this is this is absolutely the worst thing you can possibly mm. do. Um, and as soon as you take away that reward, then all of the motivation goes. It, it does it's not just doesn't just go; it becomes less. It's, yeah. It doesn't come back. Yeah. Um, you you kill the thing that you're trying to promote in the first place. Uh, so if you really want to, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a perfect place to leave it. I think that's a really powerful uh, uh, reflection and it's something I'm going to definitely be uh, thinking a lot more about. Um, just before we do finish, um, just tell us how people can find out more about your work and what you do and uh, where do they find you on, online? Ah, well, the easiest starting point is my website. I have many, actually, but uh, johndron.ca is the, a good starting point. johndron.org, johndron.net. I think they all lead to much the same place. Or you can find me at Athabasca University, athabascau.ca. I think, in fact, johndron.athabascau.ca will probably lead you back to one of those sites. It's cool. it's <laughs> well, good. And I don't know what they're cooking downstairs, but it smells really good. So uh, hmm. it might be time to go and get some lunch. <laughs> so, John Dron, thank you very much. <laughs> And that's it for another episode of Beyond Busy. Thanks again to John. Thanks also to Mark Stedman at Bloomsbury Digital and the Think Productive 
crew. Uh, it's been a really interesting couple of weeks for me in terms of thinking about the sabbatical and what I do when I get back in September. We had a huge, a huge week of uh, a, a one-off um, away day with all the UK team, and then th- a summit that was basically three conference calls, uh, sort of like a mini conference with our team around the world. Uh, so I've just spent the last couple of weeks really getting my head back around Think Productive and what the hell my business has been, has been doing while I've not been there. And it's all really good. So I'm feeling very excited about the work that Think Productive has coming up over the next year. Great clients, lots of work developing the workshop products and everything else that we do. Uh, so yeah, that all just feels like it's in a really good place. I suppose the moral from a sabbatical and work-life balance point of view is actually... Uh, the business has probably grown more in the last year when I haven't been there as it has any time that I've been there. So one of the morals of this story is there are many, many places in the business of Think Productive where my job is to get out of the way and let good people do their work. So uh, that's just a thought that I have been mulling over over the last uh, couple of weeks and also just thinking about what I will start to do when I get back. Uh, but I don't have much time to do too much between now and the end of the month. So I'm uh, going off to the WOMAD Festival. Anyone who's going to WOMAD, tweet me at Graham Alcott. It'd be lovely to uh, say hi to some Beyond Busy listeners at WOMAD. Uh, taking my little boy there as well, which would be great. And uh, then, yeah, just got a few other things. And my friend Abdu, who is from Uganda. I lived with Abdu in Uganda in 2003. Uh, he is actually packing right now as as I talk and is flying over to the UK next week. So I'm going to be recording Beyond Busy with Abdu because uh, he is one of the best humans in the world and just a fascinating guy. Uh, very senior in the Uganda version of the Inland Revenue, basically. So I just think he's he just always has amazing perspectives on work-life balance and... Uh, you know how to achieve career success and things like that so really looking forward to getting him on Beyond Busy as well but yeah just kind of preparing for his visit and we were talking on the phone today and he reminded me that last time he was in the UK he's only been I think once before I think and when he was in London, we went Timpin Bowling. And he was like, I I thought they had Timpin Bowling in Kampala, but apparently they don't anymore. And he was like, yeah, I'm pumped. I want to go Timpin Bowling. I'm really excited. So, so that's going to be part of the, the part of the itinerary. And, you know, my job in the next few days is just kind of getting stuff prepared and ready for him and uh, getting the spare room ready and all that sort of thing. So looking forward to that. Uh, so thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Beyond Busy. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another one. And until then, enjoy the sunshine. Have a great couple of summer weeks. And bye for now.